0: Well, hi. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I feel like I shouldn't be quite so cheerful because it sounds like I'm ungrateful, which is far from the truth. I am prodigiously grateful to all the writers who contributed readings to my Broken Recorder sessions. I really enjoyed the readings. I hope you listeners did, too. The thing is, I really hope it never has to happen again. See, my new recorder arrived. Yay! And I have leapt back into recording chapters of Gatekeeper's Deception, so I am thrilled to be getting back on track. Oh, hey, something I just thought of is, um, reviews. Now, You may not have chosen to purchase the audiobook of Gatekeeper's Key, and that's fine because you heard the story here. If you did purchase a copy, thank you. That's wonderful. But if you didn't, that's okay, because you can still help me out if you want to. Another way to help out would be to consider posting a review of it. Find where it is for sale, like Apple Books, Google Play, or Kobo, and post a review. That would really help boost visibility, and I would be grateful. In any event, I am absolutely thrilled to be getting back on track with reading my chapters aloud to you all. So thrilled, in fact, that I'm not going to hold you up anymore. Let's dive right in. So if you remember, our friends were camped in the Donnan Forest on their way to Fennel's home of Placatha when they were attacked by four extraordinarily large wildcats. Um, The company did them some damage, but ultimately they dropped to the ground dead. And in the darkness, Kier saw some flashing lights, rather like fireflies, which abruptly vanished. And now, Chapter 4. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace. Chapter 4. I Always Said She Was Trouble. Skim filled tin plates with meat and vegetables, which had remained undisturbed in their pot and were only slightly beyond the point at which he would have proclaimed them to be ready. Derry wouldn't eat until he had tended to the group's cuts and scratches. He fetched his kit and began working on Janik's cheek, the most serious of their injuries. "'Misjudge the distance of the damn thing,' the dwarf said. "'Damn I!' He had the decency to look abashed, as if the words had slipped out unbidden. Kier thought it best to leave it alone. As she blew on a spoonful of dinner, Kier voiced the thing that had been on her mind more than the influence of Dregor on the animals. Did anybody else notice the flashing lights, or was it just me? Yes, I saw them too, said Jaskelin. Oh, good, because I was a bit concerned about my sanity, Kier grinned. "'Dear lady,' Skimnoddle orated, "'regardless of whether the quality of your mind was in doubt, "'I would without question remain your most humble servant, "'ever sustaining you with unparalleled devotion.' "'He bowed. "'She looked up at him without raising her head. "'That's... that's great, but that's hardly the point, is it? "'I want to know what they were "'and how much of a part they played in killing those damn cats.' "'She turned to Fennel. "'You mentioned sylvan sprites before?' "'Well, yes,' Fennel sounded cross. "'They abhor evil of any kind. "'It would be natural—' "'The elf clamped his mouth shut. "'Then he turned abruptly to Skimnoddle. "'This is really good, Skimnoddle, once again.' Kier had to agree, but she would never say so. "'Rather, she observed Fennel as he rose and wandered around the camp. "'Conversation resumed, but Kier was not so rapt "'that she did not notice Fennel examine each of the animals "'under the guise of nonchalantly preparing them for burial.' She watched him out of the corner of her eye and saw him put more than one tiny item into his pouch. She thought it might be samples of the animal's fur. She said nothing. Two mornings later, Fennel scrabbled out of his bedroll and his long stretch turned into a little jig as he announced, Friends, that was our last night sleeping on the ground, for a few days at least. We'll be in Placatha, the front city of Donan by late afternoon. Janet grunted and said, Horrific. Then we'll be surrounded by countless elves as noisy and malodorous as you. Absolute rubbish, Fennel cried. No one in Placatha is as malodorous as I. Kier counted in her head. By the time they reached Placatha, it would have been a full week since they'd stayed in an inn and she'd had a hot bath. A horrifying thought struck her. Fennel, do they even have baths in Placatha? He threw a startled look at her, but when he saw the twitch in the corner of her lip, he casually bent and picked a cluster of salal berries and flung them at her. Hunter fell naturally back into the authoritative tone he had habitually used when issuing commands to his soldiers at Shale Castle. Each time he gave his new company an order, he was reasonably sure his words were impressive enough. He tried to be vague about their task, giving himself room to be less than specific as they neared their mark. Unfortunately, Golgothar had prepared for that eventuality. Hunter had asked for a dozen men. Hugh was the first to volunteer. Formerly Hugh, he'd earned the nickname from his way of carving up his opponents even after they were dead. Hunter would have to watch himself with that one, but Hugh was nothing. Of the dozen men he'd requested, he got eleven. The twelfth person was a woman, a mage assassin who called herself Misty. She and her twin brother, a double short sword swinging fighter named Juggler, had only days previously returned to headquarters after a trip west on an undisclosed errand. They were the creepiest pair he'd ever encountered. The way they looked at him with coal-black eyes made him uneasy, and the way they talked in whispers all the time, their dark, curly heads bent toward each other. They understood each other's thoughts without speaking and smiled identical little knowing smiles at each other every time he gave an order, as if they were just humoring him. To ignore them was impossible. To confront them was out of the question." After a couple of weeks of travelling, Misty and Juggler approached him as he curried his horse. Misty did all the talking. Her willowy beauty was witch-like and unnerving. "'Chief Hunter,' she said in a childish sing-song fashion that was bizarrely juxtaposed by her low-range voice, "'my brother and I must speak to you.' "'I suppose I should feel honored." Hunter replied more bravely than he felt. "'We'll see if you still feel that way after I've finished.' she said. We just had a visit from our old friend Golgothar. You know him, of course. She began to stroke his horse's flank. Hunter could not imagine why that made him so nervous. He informed us that he more or less sees us as seconds. That means second in command where we come from. Now we should make sure you know the significance of being a second, shouldn't we, Juggles? Juggler did not even have the human sensitivity to flinch at the pet name. I think I'd like you to look right at me when I say this to you, Hunter, so I know you've understood things. He looked at her, yet he could not keep his eyes from darting back to where she caressed his horse. He wished she'd remove her hand. Our job as seconds is to make sure you do your job as chief. Does that make sense to you? Golgothar will tell you what the instructions are, and you will pass those instructions on to the rest of our little party.' We know your background, so if at any time Juggles and I feel that you might be withholding anything from the group, or misleading us, or casually misinterpreting Golgothar's instructions, we can go speak to him. Isn't that lovely? And we won't even be accused of insubordination, because it's part of our job. And here's the part I like best. Once he's decided on a course of action, we will be the ones to carry it out. Juggles and I really like that sort of thing, don't we, Juggles? juggler did not respond. Hunter wasn't foolish enough to think him a half-wit. He was all too aware of the two short swords at the quiet one's waist, one smooth and razor-sharp, the other jagged like a saw on both edges. Frederick had watched him practice with them, making a blur of motion like the wings of a hummingbird, tossing them in the air and catching them, throwing them to impale a squirrel against the trunk of a tree. Frederick did not relish the notion of being anything like that squirrel." Chief Hunter, we will help carry out Golgothar's orders in every way we are capable of. Her tone lost its sing-song style and became virtually toneless, and one of those ways is ensuring that you do not forget your allegiance. There, do you still feel honored? Frederick felt sick to his stomach. When they'd gone and he finally turned back to his horse, he saw what she'd done. Somehow, with her hand, she'd shaved a diagram into his animal's hair, the chevron stars and tree of the Bartholin crest, with a thick X through them. Hunter had to sit down. Now they were only just over a week away from Placatha. Hunter's hope of deceitfully thwarting the group's efforts had vanished. All that remained was his lust for Kier's blood. He could taste it, even as he had tasted the wine on her lips. The vision of her deep, mysterious eyes as they caressed the shadows in the candlelight of his room altered to become the expressionless eyes that looked through him as he was handed his fate from his beloved lord. The only vision that made him smile now was that of the life draining from those eyes as she fell on the point of his sword. He clutched that vision. Soon. Fennel was as much unlike his father as Kier could have imagined. She had assumed he would be the spitting image of his senior, and for some reason she had not been able to shake the picture, so when she followed Derry into the giant red cedar meeting room, the spicy aroma of the wood curiously fresh, the contrast between the old elf and his third son surprised her. She glanced around the room looking for someone else, but there was none other who could possibly be the lord of the Donan Forest. Lord Fearin's eyes were deeper set than Fennel's and a bit too close together, making his face look squashed and adding to its stern expression. When he stood to greet them, he smiled a little, and it was as if someone had grabbed both his pointed ears from behind and stretched them back, spreading his face apart. He was shorter than his son by several inches, and heavier, with a thickness around his neck that could have been attributed to either his considerable age or the plate of sticky buns at his elbow." The only similarity Kier noted, and it was a subtle one, was the tendency of both men's hair to be bushy. Lord Fearin's was longer, though, the weight of it reducing its volume, whereas Fennel's was jaw-length and sprang up, adding to his boyish appearance. The father's hair was darker, too, more like red maple rather than Fennel's paper-birch colour. "'It is a joy to see you again, my son,' the Lord embraced him rather stiffly, Kier thought. "'I hope your journey was a pleasant one.' You appear to be in good health, that is something to say for you. Please introduce your friends. Some faces I believe I recognize, others I do not. Fennel's voice was more formal than Kier had ever heard him speak. Our captain, Derry Morant, whom you have met before, he has been Lord Valraker's captain for several years. Derry gave a courtly bow and turned to the side. Was it Kier's imagination, or did he give her a look that said... If not for you, I would have been introduced as Sir Derry, as I ought to be. She frowned and tried to shake the feeling of crossness by the time her name came up. When Fennel said Kierre's name, she perceived a slight rise in the pitch of his voice and wondered if he was worried about her behavior or his father's. The Lord squinted at her. Kierre did not like him. He looked her up and down as she watched him make a mental note of her armour, her weapons, her boots, even her hair, which couldn't possibly be a pretty sight after weeks of travel. Kier was reminded of the way the cranky schoolteacher in Hrath used to look at her before flinging something at her head. The old teacher was all geniality in comparison to Lord Fearin. "'Welcome all of you to Placatha, the front city of Donnan, on behalf of Lady Fearin and our household.' Lord Fearon's apparent opinion of Kier was set aside and replaced with something resembling friendliness. "'I trust you shall enjoy your sojourn, and I would be delighted if you would share this evening's meal at my own family table. Until then, my servants will direct you to your chambers.' With that, the old man turned to go. Kier stared at his exiting back. "'I highly doubt that man is capable of delighting in anything.' Then Fennel was at her side, and he walked with her out the side door and through the lamp-lit trees. Two servants accompanied the others in front. I'm sorry, Kier, Fennel said in a low voice. I have no idea what the appraisal was all about. Don't worry about it, Fennel. I'm used to creating some sort of disturbance every time I enter a new room. It's getting a little tiresome, but for you, I can tolerate it. She gave him a friendly slap on the back. The trees were thick overhead like a rooftop. Kier imagined that it would take an exceptionally heavy rain to penetrate it. Lamps resembling small metal houses hung from branches about fifteen feet off the ground. The roof of each one was a large, flat cone shape to protect the flame from rain and the tree from the flame. They cast shadows that were at the same time cheerful and eerie. It was a strange sensation, this feeling like she was indoors yet knowing she was not— the trees wafted gently in a breeze that was undetectable to her, and they seemed to murmur amongst themselves. Kier's skin crinkled, but she adopted what she hoped to be an affable appearance, to stay on the tree's good side. She caught glimpses of several shelters nestled among the trees, at ground level and above, the higher ones accessed by sturdy-looking circular staircases. Kier followed Fennel into a long, low building, and her eyes had to adjust to a new kind of dimness. This time the light source was candles, dozens of them on sconces of shiny metal that protected the log walls from the flames. The floor was wooden planks, covered with the same organic materials that naturally occurred outdoors. Hemlock and pine needles, sword ferns, strips of cedar bark, and scaly cedar leaves all softened their footfalls, so even the sturdiest of dwarves could walk almost noiselessly through this corridor. Doors lined the hallway, half a dozen on each side. "'Why doesn't this whole place go up in flames?' Kier asked. "'All the materials are kept green magically,' Fennel replied. "'Besides, we use all the plant life with their permission, "'so they don't actually die once we've cut them.' "'Kier stopped for a second, then carried on. "'How do you get their permission?' "'We ask them, of course. See you at dinner.' Pierre entered the hall for the evening meal and hesitated in the twined cedar bough doorway, breathing in the pungent scent of the tree of which the room was fashioned. She looked up, and instead of a ceiling, the room came to a point beyond which was the cedar-trunk and boughs, as if they were inside the tree. Kier thought the wood elves must have asked this tree very nicely. It seemed all her friends already had found their seats. A bright-eyed girl with red cedar-colored hair looked her way and waved her over. Kier approached. I'm Kendra Firin. The girl invited Kier to sit in the empty seat next to her. Fennel's younger sister. She looked not much younger than Kier, though Kier was unsure what the equivalent of twenty-three was in Elven years. Kier sat and, changing to the Elvish tongue, spoke conspiratorially. Do you have any embarrassing stories about Fennel you can share? Kendra grinned, and Kier saw the resemblance to her brother. The elf pointed out all the siblings. Rupi, the eldest, with his distinguished demeanour, already looking fit to be Don and Lord in his turn. Next to him was his handsome partner, Tristan. Then came Pollen, the second Fearin' son, with dark eyes and mahogany-coloured hair. Kendra made Kier try to guess which of the elder sisters was which. Though she had no idea about Shellet or Nana. Kier remembered that Marlowe was the one Fennel was closest to, and from across the room Kier almost would have taken them for twins. Seated next to her brother, they were practically identical, right down to the eyes and hair. Marlowe even kept hers short like Fennel's, though it was tidier. Kendra congratulated her score of one out of three. Finally, Kendra pointed out Darkin, the youngest, who turned out to be a quiet youth who lived up to his name, with dark hair like his eldest brother's, and about twelve by human standards. A golden-haired elf came around pouring wine into each goblet, though when she reached Janik, the dwarf's deep voice cut through the conversations. "'I thank you, but no, I would prefer a mug of the palest ale to a cup of your richest wine.' The girl looked startled, but recovered herself and murmured something, to which he replied, "'I only say that because I've heard none but the best report of Don and Ale.' She blushed and spoke to a passing server who sailed out of the hall. "'Nice recovery, Janik, you rude bastard,' Kier thought with a certain fondness. "'Oh, and here's mother,' Kendra said, sitting up straighter. "'Kier had assumed correctly after all. "'Fennel was the spitting image of his senior.' Fennel's mother was stately and slender, several inches taller than her husband, with long wavy hair of the same white blonde as Fennel's. Her face was narrow and soft, a kind face that seemed to be smiling perpetually, even if the corners of her mouth were not turned up. Kier now saw where Fennel had inherited his bright blue eyes. Lady Firin's were azure blue and shone out all over the entire room. Kier liked Lady Fearon at first glimpse. She noticed that even Lord Fearon seemed more relaxed in the presence of his wife. Her grace and ease of manner cast a warmth over the company. As they commenced the first course, Kier turned to Kendra. "'How do you get used to all these people, having to remember everyone's names and all?' The girl shrugged with a crooked smile. "'I don't know. I was born into it, and so it just comes naturally, I suppose. Don't you come from a large family?' Nope, just me and my parents. Makes for really quiet family gatherings. The conversation centered around Fennel and his experiences during the past five years since he was at home, the last two of which were the most interesting because that was when he had joined Valryker. He told the story of meeting the Dark Elf and one other involving Jaskellen and a horde of giant slugs. The rest of the group helped him tell of their recent mission to Nenya and the important role they each had played there. They emphasized Fennel's archery skills for the benefit of his family. Kendra leaned closer to Kier. Did he really stop those people from killing each other? Kier nodded. I don't know how else we'd have stopped them. She was pleased at the younger girl's wide-eyed expression. "'Well, my son,' said Lord Firon, "'I am pleased to hear that although you are not using your talents to aid your people directly, "'you are at least putting your skills to good use for others.' Fennel beamed quietly at the praise. It seemed to give him courage. Actually, father, perhaps this is a good time to talk to you of our current journey. He nodded to Derry, who was the spokesman for the party. Lord Fearin grunted. I had a feeling you might have another reason for having come home since seeing your family does not usually figure largely in your plans. Kier frowned. Fennel's face reddened slightly, and he seemed smaller in his chair. Derry stepped in, our journey brought us in this direction, and I know I would never have passed up an opportunity to bask in fear and hospitality. He said in an effort to smooth over whatever feelings might have been wounded by the Lord's comment. It didn't work on Kier; she was less and less impressed by his lordship. Derry raised his goblet and toasted his hosts by way of thanks for opening their home. "'As Fennel introduced to you, there is a small piece of business "'that also contributes to our turning in this direction. "'We are on an errand for my Lord Valraker, "'though it is more so for Lord Barthelon. "'His wife, the Lady Mare, is pregnant with their child "'and yet, I regret to report, gravely ill. "'Lady Firon placed a hand over her heart. "'As even Heatha's best healers have been unable to find a remedy, "'we are on our way to visit Kamey.' Several intakes of breath were heard around the room, Lord Fearon's creases lengthened. "'We are hoping that Camy will be not only willing to perform a spell to identify the illness, but perhaps provide a cure. We know we are taking a great chance being so bold, but we have no other options.' "'And what is it you want of me?' Lord Fearon asked without enthusiasm.' "'We were hoping, father and mother, that you might be kind enough to donate a few items that we could offer Camie as gifts. "'We have some things Kian gave us, but we don't know if it will be enough.' "'To gain Kami's favor. Lord Fearon said. Uh, "'Derry cleared his throat. "'We thought it presumptuous to assume he would be willing to address the problem without some sort of recompense. "'Lord Fearin considered the matter, wiping the condensation off his goblet with his fingers.' I wonder if you could tell me why I ought to be involved. Juskalen said, It must seem as if we are taking advantage of your hospitality, hoping you'll extend it this far. Believe me, we have long thought and looked for other possible options along our journey, but everyone in Rydris is suffering because of the wars, and few people have anything of value, let alone items they are willing to give up. "'Fennel spoke up again. "'It is ultimately for the sake of Rydra's father, "'not simply because the lives of Kian's wife and heir are at stake. "'I know you are more concerned about the guarded realm "'than you are with the lands to the south, "'but in troubled times like these, "'is it not fitting to make a show of goodwill "'for our neighbours and friends, "'with whom we share a common enemy?' "'Huh.' "'I knew this common enemy talk would come up eventually.' "'Lord Fearon gave a dismissive wave. "'This has nothing to do with that. "'It is about Kian Barthelon. "'Alon Mare's health does not concern me.' "'Lady Fearon's voice spoke with warm clarity. "'It does concern me. "'Alon has always been a good friend, "'and I am saddened by your lack of care.' Her husband looked at her darkly and picked up his fork to eat his last mouthful of fruit pie. It occurred to Kier that the lord's grand words of opposition might just be an act, so it didn't look as if he were giving in too easily. On the other hand, it could have been that his lordship had other reasons not to accommodate them. She was puzzled by his apparent disregard for the common enemy topic. The old man swallowed and casually dropped his fork with a clatter onto the plate and leaned back in his chair. "'Very well,' he sniffed. "'If it will make my wife happy to support a friend during a difficult time, I will not say no. "'I will think on it and try to provide you with something. "'But I have to say I don't know offhand what to give the great wizard who already has everything.' Kier rubbed the back of her neck, wondering at the sarcasm in his tone. "'Lady Fearon sipped her tea and said in a gentle, low voice, "'Hardly everything.' The conversation at breakfast naturally turned to the affairs of the world. Kier observed how leisurely the Firin brothers were able to speak about this topic with their father not present. "'Is there danger of Lord Dregor seeking you out during your journey?' Tristan said and glanced at Rupee as Lord Firin came through the doorway. "'I have gathered a few items for your use,' he announced as he sat. "'Some jewels, a decorative dagger, and a helm of some value that belonged to my great-uncle.' "'It will have to suffice, for I can find nothing else.' "'Derry rose and bowed. "'I thank you for your generosity on behalf of us all.' "'Thank you, Father,' Fennel added with sincerity. "'His father replied with a curt nod. "'The conversation soon resumed, albeit a bit more self-consciously. "'To answer your question,' Derry said to Tristan, "'of course this mission is not directly influenced by Dregor's movements, "'but he is certainly on our minds at all times.' "'You must gain intelligence, I suppose, no matter where you travel. "'That may influence Lord Barthelon's decisions,' Paulin said. Pierre noted his hesitant glance at his father. "'Yes, it is so,' Diskellon nodded. "'Certainly coming this far north is a risk, "'our confidence and faith in the strength of our allies in the guarded realm notwithstanding.' "'He nodded toward Lord Fyrin. "'We hope to remain as inconspicuous as possible, "'but if anything it would be nice to learn something "'that will be of value to the Dukes upon our return.' Pierre noticed Lord Feron's face taking on a grimmer countenance as the discussion progressed. Rupi's jaw was set as if the eldest son struggled to hold back. Tristan placed a hand on Rupi's. Pollen studied his tea. Kier could no longer resist. What steps are you taking, your lordship, to prepare for any action on the part of our common enemy? To anyone else it would seem an innocent enough question. It must worry you that the guarded realm is now sandwiched between enemy territories. She widened her eyes to appear as curious as possible. She avoided Derry's gaze, though it bored into her like a termite into wood. "'You all keep mentioning this common enemy,' Lord Fearon began. "'We're getting to the crux of it right away,' Kier thought with satisfaction. "'My common sense tells me that the best way to make an enemy of Lord Dregor is to provoke him. "'In my view, it is best to remain unnoticed.' "'Jeskelon said quietly, "'Do you not regard him as the one enemy of all your lordship?' "'He is evil, to be sure,' the elven lord replied. "'But like poking a hornet's nest, he need only be an active enemy to those who choose it.' "'Rupi's elven pallor took on a pinkish hue. "'I don't understand what you mean, father.' Fennel said cautiously, "'You make it sound as if it were a viable choice to side with him. "'Are you saying that Dragor was somehow elected to the position of enemy "'by those who oppose him?' Kier was reminded of a conversation with Brendau, "'wherein her trainer pointed out how war would not happen "'if nobody ever opposed their oppressors. "'No one would die in defense of their homeland "'if they simply stepped aside and allowed invaders in. "'For most, that was not an option.' "'I'm not talking about siding with him. "'I'm talking about the other choice, not taking a side. "'Certainly those who stand up to him only escalate the problem. "'My point, dear boy,' Kier felt Fennel cringe from the other side of the room, "'is this. "'Dregor is far more likely to focus his attentions on those whose presence and motives are obvious "'than those whose actions are more discreet and inconspicuous.' "'He pressed his forefinger into the table for emphasis.' "'This pronouncement was, Kier assumed, for the educational benefit of this particular party, "'considering the prominence in Rydra society of both Kian and Valraker. "'Neither were definable as figures hiding in the shadows. "'She had not allied herself with the subtlest lot, she was well aware, "'but at least she could be proud of her involvement. "'Her spine stiffening, she warned herself to be careful what she said. "'This was Fennel's father, even if she didn't feel altogether warm and fuzzy toward him.' She took a deep breath, even as she noticed Derry's glance telling her not to say a word. "'What, does he think I'm incapable of speaking with diplomacy?' "'What discreet action will you be taking, then, sir?' Kier said, hoping he would tell them something useful that would prove his support of the force against Dregor. "'Espionage, perhaps? Any information from within?' "'At this time I will do nothing,' he replied. "'It is an unnecessary risk to the lives of my people.' Kier leaned forward. "'With all due respect, Lord Fearon, isn't that just a little bit short-sighted to ignore such a threat as Lord Dregor?' "'I would argue that, young lady. He is not a definite threat. Clearly he has other interests than the guarded realm.' "'The Tree of Life is in the guarded realm!' She thought, "'What are you all guarding if not that? If the elves refuse to take up arms in the tree's defense. "'Donnan is but one province of the guarded realm. "'The tree's protection is the responsibility of all provinces, not solely mine. "'Yet if Dregor were truly interested in taking the tree, "'why did he not enter and take it? "'Why did he plot his course to circumvent us and take Eckert? "'I will not risk the lives of my people for a mere potential threat. "'We can stave him off indefinitely if we tread carefully.' "'Kierre jammed her heel on the floor to stop her knee bouncing. "'I can't speak for Dregor's motives, "'but I would have thought that being surrounded "'would be more worrisome, not less. "'Would it not be prudent to prepare?' "'Kierre,' Derry began. "'Yes, father,' said Fennel, coming to her support. "'Were we not attacked only two days ago "'by wildcats on the perimeter of Donnan? "'Wildcats that weren't wild by any traditional sense of the word. "'Jeskellan, didn't you say they were magically enhanced?' Kier was astonished at Fennel's admission that his father may have been negligent when he had been so quick to defend him at the time. "'Deskellan had time only to nod before Lord Fearon spoke again, his volume and pitch rising with the effort to grip his patience.' "'The young lady cannot speak for Dregor, nor should you judge my tactics. "'I say this is all the more reason to remain calm and quiet, not stirring things up. "'That would be prudent, as you outspokenly put it, "'as opposed to those who gallivant around the countryside "'making spectacles of themselves and drawing all his attention. "'Though perhaps I ought to be grateful to such fools. "'Their carelessness draws Dregor's eye away from my people.' Pierre's blood boiled carelessness. He relied on everyone else to sacrifice themselves to protect his people and called them careless for their efforts. "'I may not call Valraker my lord,' said Janik in an uncharacteristically civil tone, but I work for him because I am doing my part to beat down Dregor on behalf of my people. I will not wait for Dregor to come to me.' Make no mistake, Sir Dwarf, if, and it is only an if, mind, it becomes necessary to take action, I will do so, but not until then. His word was final, so he thought. Janik never said much, and when he did it was almost unheard of for him to agree with Kier, though he sounded reasonable and less angry than she felt she was fueled by his support and her anger gained momentum. "'That's wonderful. But what has to happen for you to decide it's necessary? Have you done any traveling, Lord Firin? Have you not seen how Dregor uses people and flattens whatever stands in his way? If Draegor wants the Tree of Life, or if he wants the entire guarded realm for that matter, he's not going to forget about it just because you sit here quietly minding your own business and not stopping him.' Derry broke in. "'There are obviously many points of view,' he said awkwardly, but with a stern look at Kier, "'many interpretations of the enemy's actions and a variety of methods of counteracting them.' "'Yeah, like hiding in the trees while he burns down the forest,' Kier said crossly. The room quaked as if the cedar tree that formed its foundation and walls were in pain.' "'She didn't mean it!' Fennel leapt to his feet, crying out to the branches that surrounded them. "'Pollen's hands were slapped over his ears, Rupi clutched his heart, and Tristan's eyes were clenched shut. "'Lady Firin simply looked shocked. The other elves wore varying expressions of pain. "'It was as if she had thrown an axe at Fennel. "'Dead silence took over the room. Half the stunned faces were on Kier, and the other half were on Lord Firin.' What did you just say? His lordship's voice was barely audible. Kier closed her eyes in shame. Never mind that she had accused Lord Fearon of cowardice with the word hiding, she couldn't care less about him. She opened her eyes and immediately locked gazes with Fennel, who looked as if she'd struck him. You didn't mean it, he said firmly, yet his eyes expressed a hope that he wasn't wrong. She shook her head. No, I didn't mean it. So much for being affable to the trees. She looked around the table where every eye watched her and every ear waited. She had crossed the line and regretted her temerity. I can't believe how thoughtless that was. I wish I hadn't said it. I am truly, humbly sorry. She bowed and left the room. I guess Derry's right. I am incapable of diplomacy.' "'Skimnoddle had found a twist in a ceiling branch that looked remarkably like his bedroll as it hung from his pony. "'He looked up at it rather than trying to decide where else to look as the family members fidgeted. "'He heard Janet sigh and glanced over at Fennel, who sat down and stared into his empty cup, bereft of words. "'Derry and Juskellan held each other's gaze as if helping each other think of how to move on from here.' Well, I must say that my esteem for Valraker has been shaken. If this is what I am to expect from his company, Lord Fearin said finally. Derry could not allow that. Lord Fearin, please do not let the words of one individual impair your good opinion of my Lord Valraker, Lord Kean as well. Their good works for all of Rydris are evident. Kier's behavior is quite separate from them. Skimnoddle's brows clenched ever so slightly to hear Derry throw Kier under the cart in front of everyone. "'Our friend is known for her forthright dialogue, yes, "'but also the heartfelt emotion behind it,' Jiskelon said. "'She joined us not even three months ago, "'and we are making an effort to train her presence of mind "'to better express what is in her heart. "'You may be sure she regrets this.' "'You make excuses for her,' Lord Fearon said. "'No, sir, explanation,' the mage said. "'She did apologize,' Fennel said dully, "'and Skimnoddle was happy the elf had said it before he did.' Sometimes an apology is not enough," Derry said firmly, as if annoyed that Fennel should defend Kier. The damage here is irrevocable. She deserves some form of punishment. Skimnoddle opened his mouth to protest, but he was interrupted. Fennel's mother spoke for the first time. It seemed apparent to me that Kier did indeed regret her words, and I feel her apology was sincere. If it was a foolish mistake to speak her thoughts aloud, her honesty at least is commendable, and she is obviously intelligent enough to learn from such an error. I accept her apology. Skimnoddle nodded. That's well enough, Lord Fearon said gruffly. It was not your leadership that was under attack. He rose and exited. His wife stood to follow him. I hope we may all put this unfortunate incident behind us, Lady Fearon said graciously and left the room. "'I always said she was trouble,' Janik said. "'An hour later, Fennel knocked on the door of his father's study "'in response to a summons. "'Enter,' came the gruff voice on the other side of the door. "'Fennel entered. "'You called for me, father?' "'His father looked up at him from beneath his eyebrows, "'without lifting his head. "'He didn't lower the quill in his hand, "'but arrested its motion mid-sentence. "'I have changed my mind.' "'the old man said. "'You may thank that outspoken snippet you choose to engage with "'in spite of your superior upbringing.' "'Fennel shook his head. "'What do you mean?' "'Lord Fearon snorted. "'Clearly travelling has not demuddled your head. "'I mean, I am withdrawing my offer. "'There will be no gifts.' "'Fennel's jaw slackened in disbelief. "'But what about Alon Mare? "'Mother—' "'That high elven snob is no concern of mine.' Father, this isn't just about Alonmere. What about keeping good relations with other domains in Rydris? What if in the future— Oh, are you now going to cast aspersions on the way I govern my people? You've been cavorting with the wrong crowd for too long. I should forbid you to— You can no longer forbid me to do anything. They exchanged a glare, equally surprised that he had said such a thing. Pierre is my friend, just the same as Diskellan and the others. "'They may be better at concealing their feelings than she is. "'It is not to say they disagreed with her.' "'Fennel fought to keep his voice low "'and stared at the man to whom he had never been close, "'but who had been at least partly responsible "'for shaping him into the person he was now. "'She's a troublemaker and owes me an apology. "'She already gave you one.' "'Fennel's eyes flashed. "'At least she's willing to stand up for what she believes is right. "'You won't even think about what is right, let alone stand up for it. "'Now you call me a coward?' "'Lord Fyrin looked like a snake about to spring. "'I call you unrealistic. "'I ought to flog you.' "'Fennel waved his arm. "'I used to fall for that threat. Not any more. "'You're looking for a way to prove your power. "'The better way to do that would be to take a stand against Dregor.' Lord Fearon slowly rose out of his chair and glared at his son through icy eyes. Fennel held his ground. He could hardly believe his own courage in doing so. His heart thudded against his ribs, but his voice was barely above a whisper. I don't know what has been going on since I last left, but something has changed. I used to fear you, but I still admired you. Now I just fear for our people. For a moment he was afraid his father would hit him. But Lord Fearon merely stood there, clenching and unclenching his fists at his sides. Get out, Fennel, he said finally, and you may as well not come back. I will, but before I go, let me give you these. Fennel carefully opened his pouch and closed his fingertips delicately around some tiny silver items. He laid them on top of the book in which his father had been writing. These are arrows, father, arrows from the bows of sylvan sprites. "'I took them from the hides of the animals that attacked us in your forest only two days ago. "'I am sure I don't have to tell you this, but just in case you've forgotten, sylvan sprites only show themselves when evil is about. "'They would not have helped us kill normal beasts.' "'The young elf looked at his father and sighed with just a hint of sadness. "'I defended your honour to my friends that night.' "'He left the room.' Lord Fearon remained standing for some moments, his teeth gritted, glaring at the door that closed behind his son. He finally forced himself to lower his eyes and acknowledge the minute arrows glittering in the afternoon sunlight that filtered through the window. He hesitated, as if touching them would make them more real. Eventually he picked them up and rolled them between his thumb and fingertips. A gust of breath emitted from his throat, and he dropped onto his chair. He snapped the arrows in tightly clenched fists. The words he had just written blurred behind his tears. Kier, 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 way to go. Way to go. So apparently, Fennel has gained some confidence having worked for Valraker for a couple of years. That was the first time he has stood up to his father, and I think he did a pretty good job of it. Go, Fennel, go. Well, it's November now, and there's a decided chill in the air, though it's sunny today. I hope everyone had a safe and socially distant Halloween. Now, very soon, like on Friday, though I don't know why I bother telling you that because it takes several days to even be available to you, but in any event, I will shortly be publishing my first audio short. This is an audio version of a short story. Namely, To Serve and Protect. This is a story that was a finalist in the Surrey International Writing Conference contest. And it was published by Bundoran Press in 49th Parallels, which is an anthology of alternate Canadian histories and futures in honor of Canada's 150th birthday. The anthology was nominated for an Aurora. So I'm pretty proud of that. So keep your eyes and ears peeled. If you're interested, it will be priced appropriately and I just might have some giveaway codes Uh, so more on that later. Anyhow um, thank you all for, for sticking around or if you went away and have come back to hear the story thanks for coming thanks always to my family Matt, David and Heather and Maggie thanks David and Sharon happy birthday mumsy Thank you to the original six, and thanks to you. Now, go be fantastic.